What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Bit Vault Podcast. Today, I'm humbled to have Richard Myers. He is the founder of Global Mesh Labs. How you doing? Thanks, uh, Nico. Looking forward to the chat today. Uh, yeah, and, you- I, and I guess I can correct. I'm I'm a co-founder. Actually, I co-founder. co-founded this with uh, Daniela Perdomo, who's the founder of Gotenna. Okay, so cool, cool, cool. Tell you more that's, about how that came down later, if you want. That's awesome. So it is actually really interesting because I was watching the Dystopian Labs, you know, like live stream, oh. and I ran into your presentation, and I'm like, wow, people need to know about this, people, because this <laughs> is this is so cool. So I shot you a message on Twitter, and I was like, hey Ben, come, come on the show. <laughs> you know, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pick your brain. You know, and um, I'm glad you accepted. So thank you again. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm getting some light bleeding through, which kind of <laughs> sucks. Okay, whatever. Let's see if I can cover it up with the microphone. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Anyways, um, yeah, that was a that was a good the the that particular conference. I was you know I wasn't sure because it was kind of a mixed audience. It wasn't all Bitcoiners, um, but that turned out to be a good thing because I got people reaching out to me who. You know, I think the Bitcoin audience sort of knows what I'm doing and knows, you know, more or less what, you know, what's going on with that. But it was interesting to be able to reach a whole different audience that that maybe hadn't heard of this stuff and, um, awesome. you know, awesome. could see the could see some some value in it maybe and hopefully lead them lead them to why we need this kind of thing in Bitcoin and just generally. Definitely, and I, and I agree that it's 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 a, it's essential. It's essential to have to to have this kind of more as like a redundancy as a backup. Um, so I, before we, before we, you know, we, we get into the nitty gritty, Richard, I just wanted to know, you know, what's up, man. How do you have any pandemic <laughs> stories? How you been? The 2020 <laughs> has been crazy. Yeah. I feel like I'm like the least affected person from the pandemic. I work at home in a basement. I don't go outside. You know, I don't, I don't have any like commute that I had to do before. So uh, yeah. And I, and I happen to live in Sweden. So Sweden is also on one of the few countries not under lockdown. So I got, I could say it's been a pretty good summer because I haven't had to travel anywhere, but, uh, but I do have a lot of family back in the U S and it's obviously been a problem for them uh, more so, you know, like they, they have a lot more lockdown, but anyway, it's a strange perspective when you, when you live in Europe and don't have the lockdown to read about what's going on. Uh, <laughs> so I know, yeah. For, for like off grid stuff too, you know, you, it kind of makes you think of that sort of Mad Max scenario when things like this happen. So uh, <laughs> that's about the only Definitely. <laughs> So in your opinion was, was the locked in my opinion you know being based in miami i think the lockdown is bs i i, I didn't think it was necessary what's yeah. your opinion on it since i know that sweden was one of the few countries that decided not to do a lockdown at all yeah i mean i i honestly don't probably follow it as closely as i should but i i do feel like one thing i can say in sweden's favor is they just had a plan and their plan before the pandemic was you know was what they followed. So they, you know, they had a plan, they followed it. And, and it seems like the evidence coming out now is that places that locked down versus places that didn't lock down, maybe, you know, it changed some variables, but it, in the end of the day, it didn't actually change too much of the outcome. That seems to be, you know, one, one school of thought. Now, I mean, I've lived in big cities before. I mean, our company, Gotenna is in New York. And I wonder if something that we did here in very sparsely populated Sweden might not have worked as well in a very densely populated place. Miami is an example. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
it, it's it's very regional and and also even though Sweden is very like not very dense pl place population wise, actually we locked down even it just wasn't mandatory. So that that I think would be the thing I would take away is people aren't idiots if you just tell them, you know, to don't go outside. You know, you tell companies to try to make accommodations. I think most people can do that without these sort of draconian lockdowns. And people aren't idiots. You know, they don't want to get sick. And and if companies have that leeway, then then people can make their own choices. So. Absolutely, and I think that would, that's such a more thoughtful and more intelligent approach than what 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 the hell's been going on in the u.s you know because yeah. there's it's political it's political you know the 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 blue the democratic states are like lockdown the republican states are like no freedom you know and it's yeah. just been this giant you know um excuse my language clusterfuck of yeah. different of you know I don't even, okay. Well, let's get back into, yeah. let's get back to you, Richard. So Richard, sure. what, what's your background? What's your background? Where do you so, come from? Software engineering. Um, so I've been a software engineer for, you know, C++ programmer for my, I guess, 20 years, 30 years I've been doing software stuff. So long time in software, um, not nothing with cryptography, you know, nothing necessarily related to Bitcoin. Uh, I was scientific related stuff, but not, uh, you know, nothing with cryptography, but I've always sort of had an interest in, in sort of the philosophy that I think drives a lot of people to Bitcoin. So that sort of individualistic, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that decentralized societies, you know, that's sort of an idea. So, uh, so I think that that appealed to me from the very beginning about Bitcoin. Uh, and I've actually been working on a project with my brother to do something like a, if you're familiar with multiplayer, you know, massively multiplayer games, that was hot when I was you know, younger. And we thought maybe there was a way to do it without a centralized server. So I, I feel like that maybe prepped me in a way to think about Bitcoin, because we were already sort of thinking, how could you do a, like a MMOG without a central server? So when Bitcoin came around, it's like, oh, these guys, they solved it. You know, they've got this solution to how to come to a consensus without some central server in a you know, secure way. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's... Uh, that's sort of my pathway to Bitcoin. And, you know, you just, you know, you start following it and then pretty soon you fall down the rabbit hole. That's, that's just how it goes. Um, but um, I guess the real leap for me was about two years ago when I quit the job that I had for about 16 years. So that was like my longest, you know, biggest part of my career. So you took the and leap of faith. You took the yeah, leap of faith. Yeah. I had this, I had this opportunity to do, you know, to do Bitcoin at Gotenna. And I was like, Yep, uh, you know, I got to do it. So, so that's why I've been the last two years is, is doing this uh, Global Mesh Labs. We actually founded a year ago. So first year I was there, we were sort of coming up with a plan. And then uh, we launched Global Mesh Labs. And now I'm just trying to, trying to make, it, make it real. <laughs> awesome. On the hustle, on the hustle. Man, that's so interesting. First of all, C++, you're, you're an OG, Okay, you're an OG because <laughs> yeah. today Most, it's all about O than G. Mostly more O than G, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so because you know most, you know, because I, I know some fundamental, you know, I have some fundamental coding skills. I'm more of a hardware guy myself. Mm. Um, I come from the mining industry, but um, you know, C plus plus, man, that that that's some real OG stuff. You know, right? <laughs> all all that's taught nowadays is Java and Python. And that's yeah. it. That's it. You know, so <laughs> it's crazy, you know, that you, you don't hear that very often. And what I found very interesting about what you said, um, Richard, because I'm a huge gamer myself, right? I'm not, I'm not into MMOs that much. Um, but 
it's funny how the same, I would say the same scenario always happens when there's a centralized system, whether it's in video games, whether it's in finance, whatever it is, the person that controls that server in the MMO case is mm -hmm. the, the benevolent dictator, right? Yeah. So, um, and, you know, and, and, and it's crazy because in, in the MMO world, the benevolent dictators, you know, they, they, they're, they're brutal. They, they'll do whatever <laughs> the hell they want. You know, you say one thing, they'll kick you out of the server. They don't care. Yeah. So, um, so that's super interesting how, and I was, I was doing a previous podcast with, uh, keep it simple Bitcoin. And we basically came to this conclusion that Bitcoin kind of, you know, like a town square and in the middle of the town square, there's like this, this light and it just brings people from all walks of life from different perspective, different vantage points, all to the same conclusion, right? Which was decentralization is the way it is the key yeah. to solve that problem so that's very interesting so um so richard i wanted to i i wanted you to explain to our viewers um because they uh, you, you say mesh network i know what that is most people i would say 90 percent of people they're like what the hell is that so please <laughs> give a non-technical explanation you know, where if you were if you were explaining this to uh, an 18 year old kid, right? How would you explain it to them? What is a mesh network? Yeah, it's a good question. Mesh technology is actually quite old and, and, I, and I'll, I'll get back to the history maybe. But first, I'll just tell you what it is. So you, the way your current cell phone works, when you send an SMS, it goes from your phone to some uh, some uh, tower somewhere and then from there it goes to the internet it bounces through some servers comes to another tower and then comes to your phone so that's that's sort of in a rough way how a current sms maybe gets from you to somebody else a mesh network is different in a mesh network you don't broadcast to some serve some centralized tower instead you just broadcast to whoever's nearby so your phone talks to the nearby devices that are around you and if one of those people is the person you want to communicate with boom, they get the message. But if it isn't, they rebroadcast. So then the message hops from you to somebody else. And if they're on the path to the person you want to talk to, then they rebroadcast. And it hops then from phone to phone to phone until it gets to the destination. So um, basically, it means that you're not just a client-server kind of relationship. You're not, just a, um, yeah, you're not just a customer of the cell company. You're actually more collaboratively delivering that information. So that's sort of and, and that the, when you say mesh networking, it can mean different things. Sometimes people get confused because there are other kinds of mesh networks. So like Google Home if you, or Google Mesh, they sell a device that's Wi-Fi. And that Wi-Fi, you know, it's just it's like a rebroadcast of your, of your local home Wi-Fi. Um, but it's not like a mobile mesh. What we really work on is, is specifically a mobile mesh. So as you walk around town and you want to send a message, it finds, you know, it doesn't have a fixed path on how to get there. It has to discover how to get to the next person by broadcasting and, and figuring out, you know, how to get there. So, so specifically, we look at mobile mesh. And this is something that's really been around and thought about since, I don't know, like the 80s and 90s. The military uses this kind of technology. But it's never really been available in a consumer kind of package. I mean, it, you said you, you interviewed NBK. So Rodolfo, you know, he's a big ham radio guy. 
And ham radio people have been doing this, you know, I'm, I don't know when it started, but I'm sure since the 60s or 70s, they've had this idea of a repeater network. So that would be where you send a message over your ham radio, it gets picked up by a repeater, and then the repeaters kind of move it along until it gets to the place where the person you're sending it to is listening. And then, then they and get I, the message. I, 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 I love ham radio because it, the fact that it just bounces, the signals just bounce off the atmosphere. And, yeah. you know, they, 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 they just go on for for miles. And I was actually stumbling upon, I know this is going to make you smile. <laughs> I, was, I was actually stumbling upon, um, uh, you know, some YouTube videos and they were talking about number stations and guys for anything, for anyone, do, you don't want to talk about Richard? Yeah, I do. Yeah. But you should so explain for, it. It's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so for, for anyone that, that doesn't know what a number station is, is basically back in the cold war, um, a way for spies from, you know, one side of, of the Warsaw Pact and the other side of, of the, of the, of the NATO side, right? The communists versus the Western countries, they would establish these, 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 they would broadcast on public radio, these messages, right? And they would start off with a tune, um, a music, something very, you know, very, that you could tell that it's, it's about to say a number. It's about to say, it, it, it's saying, okay, this is coming from this source, but you could only tell if you were the spy and with a broadcast would be a series of numbers. So it, it would say, it would play a music like that, 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 and it would say five, four, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, whatever. And it would broadcast every single day at a specific time. It was so cryptographically secure that it was unbreakable yeah. unless you had the actual key itself. And the yeah. reason that it was unbreakable is because it, if you tried to brute force it, it wouldn't work because it would give you every single possible combination ever, right? So yeah. it's actually really interesting. And uh, to, to, to kind of, you know, just to kind of, because we sidetracked a little bit, to just kind of end this story, I started, there's this website um, that it, it's a ham radio and you can go on. And I started experimenting, going through the different channels and I was like, whatever. And guess what I found? <laughs> I found a number station and my mind was blown. And it was like two, three, four, five. I'm like, I can't believe this. This is incredible. Was it in a Russian voice or American? <laughs> it was a Chinese lady. It was a Chinese uh, lady. And, and it, it was like, it was like five, 10 seconds and it blew my <laughs> mind. So I love ham radio. I love that. It, it, it just, it's so long distance. You know, you could, you could literally broadcast it half, halfway around the world. And with repeaters, it could just carry on the signal because yeah. the, the way the ham radio works, guys, is it broadcasts the signal, but it bounces off the top of the atmosphere. So it, yeah. it, it's able to broadcast from a very long, you know, very, 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 yeah. very long uh, size, I guess. Yeah, like, for example, Distance. Rodolfo did a Bitcoin transaction and he bounced it from, you know, the East Coast of the U.S. or from Canada all the way to San Francisco. So exactly. You know, so it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. And uh, so, so I'm sure that you're a huge fan, you know, because <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up number stations. I mean, this is not like on our near term plans, but I, I've always had this fantasy, you know, like since getting into this radio stuff to create a Bitcoin number station, because it really makes sense oh for a lot God. of, the, a lot of the Oof. Bitcoin stuff would work really well. And you wouldn't be like reading off numbers that might be a little too hard, but what, if you think of, uh, you know, this is, this is a little technical, but, 
part of what you know Bitcoin is is, is these blocks that come every 10 minutes and, and there's a header on that which is quite small so 40 bytes so think of it like 40 characters as a short SMS and that gets sent out if you've got that information every 10 minutes that would actually be enough for anybody to um, it, it would be sort of like the block stream satellite they, they send out blocks every 10 minutes but if you had if you just had this one this little bit of information this block header information it would allow you to kind of make sure you were following the longest chain you make sure you were following the, the true Bitcoin uh, network if you were using a light client. And a light client is just a client that doesn't sync the whole blockchain. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, my, my thinking is that like you could have a number station that just does that and you could have more than one of them. So then you could have more than one source of truth, which, you know, this gets sort of back to the theme of what, what I'm working on at Global Mesh Labs is how could somebody who's just in the middle of nowhere use the blockchain, use the Bitcoin blockchain. And, and that, that like broadcast style technology works really well because Bitcoin has, I mean, you got to get back to the blockchain if you want to send a transaction. But if you're just trying to, you know, confirm a transaction, you don't have to broadcast at all. You just have to listen. So you could be in the middle of nowhere just listening and exactly. actually be part of the Bitcoin blockchain. And, 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 and this just makes it, this just makes it the, 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 the Bitcoin network more resilient. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. it, it just, it, it makes it unkillable because it's like, okay, you could ban it on the internet, right? But now you don't need the internet to broadcast right. it. Yeah. I mean, think about like, what if you were in uh, Belarus, they just had this election where the, uh, you know, like a, uh, a fraudulent election and they shut down the internet if, or Venezuela, they've been, they, you know, they have power outages and China's got the great firewall. If you were in any of these places and you were trying to build up an economy based on Bitcoin, um, it would be nice to know that there was these fallbacks. You know, maybe it doesn't go down forever, but it goes down for two weeks. If your business is, is operating on Bitcoin, you know, you would like a way to be able to get this critical information you need to be able to say, receive money or have some way to get a small bit of information out. So ham radio, for example, would be a good way to send just like Rodolfo did, you know, across the United States, you could be in North Korea and send it, you know, exactly. two thousand miles, and get your transaction out. And 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 there and there's no way for anyone listening, right, to to understand what the hell is going on. And 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 Richard, I I I, I like the, the number station is just so complicated. So real quick, <laughs> I kind of just want to show a creepy example, not creepy, oh, but an example okay. of what a number station sounds <laughs> like, right? So I'm just going to play this very small clip. So essentially what you just heard, right, was this German lady, obviously at that time, this definitely came from Eastern Germany, right, KGB style, and she was just reading out numbers, right? And there was no way for the other side to understand what the hell they were trying to, they were trying to say in that secret message. So that's what a number station is, right? Uh, it's not so common anymore because the cold war kind of ended, even though I heard one, so maybe they, they, they still exist. I don't know, but that's what, that's what Richard is suggesting, right? Using that same old technology to enhance the, the, the resilience of Bitcoin, especially in countries where the dictator is just saying, nope, let's cut the internet. Well, we don't need the internet anymore. And that kind of, you know, segues perfectly into my next, into uh, the next thing that I wanted to show everybody, which is your product, 
of your contribution to basically establishing a global mesh network that does not rely on the internet and this is the this is go tenna so so richard while we have this pulled up i'm going to scroll down the website show everybody could you give me an elevator pitch to an 18 year old person of what this is yeah so a go tenna mesh so there's we make two models but yeah so what a go tenna is is it's a radio i actually have a small one here if you guys can see it well i guess you're not showing it now but um if you click on, if you are on the website now, click yep, on where it says where for consumers. Because there's this sort of one that we sell sort of first responders. So this is the one we sell for consumers. Um, and what it does is it pairs to your mobile phone via Bluetooth. So what you would do is you would, you just like a pair of head, like a like radio headset, you pair it to your Gotenna. And then um, if you're somewhere without, if you're somewhere without uh, Wi-Fi or, or some sort of mobile data, it allows you to do this thing I mentioned where you can send out a message and it'll just get broadcast, you know, around you. And it's not, it's got a lot longer range than Wi-Fi, So it'll go, I think, you know, if you've got a real good line of sight, it could go four miles um, to the next person. So if you were and out, if, I'm sure if you're on top of a mountain more than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had people who get really good vantage points and, and can actually string them, you know, many, many more miles apart, but it, it depends on many conditions. I, I don't, I don't like to give exact numbers because it depends on, you know, a lot of, a lot of conditions, so but I'm gonna, much I'm gonna, longer than Wi-Fi. I'm going to play, uh, I'm going to play some uh, devil's advocate here and just ask you a couple questions. So yeah. first of all is, will this be able to communicate with devices that aren't Gotenna? No. So this is running a particular, it's running on a, on a open, what do they call it? Like the frequencies it uses are used by other devices, but the particular protocol that these devices use is specific to Gotenna. So it'd be like at the firmware level, they're talking a different protocol. Maybe you could think of it as, I don't know, like GSM versus, uh, you know, one of the other protocols. Uh, there is no standard actually there is no standard and and the only thing that the the other concern that i have you guys have a beautiful app and it's a beautiful product so the only thing is th this definitely requires you know a lot of users for this to be implemented so how how are you guys doing on how you how, how are you guys doing on I'm, i don't want to ask how you guys doing on sales but <laughs> is this is this a popular product like are well, do you, you see a lot of demand Click on there where it says node map. So people can self-report. It's at the top of the webpage. It's like scroll all the way to the top. And along the black band there, it says node map. Um, yeah, node one map over there. there it is. Yep. So this is this is sort of like a self-reported map of where nodes are. Uh, awesome. There's more, it's gonna sink in a second here. Um, and of course, you know, people can come and go, but it, it should give you some general ideas. Yeah, you can look down where you live there. Um, Oh, it's strange it's not updating. There's certainly more than zero. <laughs> no, obviously. Um, uh, you know, I, I think they're working on the website. I, I hope it actually isn't broken. Let me see. But but there's many. Oh, there you go. There you go. Actually, oh, yeah, there there's a bug in our website. If you would oh, bring that one up again, I might as well okay, show it off. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. But bring up that filter again. Which one? Okay. The, yep. That one there. So this is actually from our staging. It's not actually implemented yet. But you were asking sort of what are we going to do to sort of help expand the coverage. One thing we're working on is uh, the, creating sort of a, 
a system where people could run internet gateways. So for example, if you wanted to, yeah, there are none because that's still to be implemented, but um, this is something I can talk about later maybe, but one of the, so the, so the Gotenna network is just from Gotenna to Gotenna. So you can talk to other people who are using Gotenna and using like that app that you showed on the website. Um, but problem is people maybe go out, they go to a, you know, they go to a concert or they go hiking and they have it on and then they turn it off again. And oh my God. Keeps... And look, I, and, and sorry to interrupt you, Richard. I know what's <laughs> going on here. This is yeah. rural farmland, man. This okay. is rural farmland. That's so right I'm, I'm assuming. Here, I'm click on assume... one of them. You can, you can see if it says the name of, no, it's Device. just random, but. So, th th so this is rural farmland. So I know what's <laughs> going on here. I know exactly what's going on here. Oh, they do don't have, they don't have good internet. And guess good what they're thing. doing? Guess what they're doing? It could be, They're but using... you know, it's, it's not going to give them internet though, but it could, it, it, if they don't have cell, for example, like this would be something where if you don't have good cell coverage and maybe you want to communicate back to your house or something, then, then you could totally use it for something like gotcha. that. Okay. So it's, it's, so it's not, it, it's, it doesn't, it, right now it doesn't support data. Yeah. Well, it, it's not exactly true to say it doesn't support data because you can send like your location. Um, we've actually got an app called TXTenna, which lets you send Bitcoin transactions. Um, but it's just not, you would need a gateway, somebody to run a gateway to the internet to be able to do things uh, on the internet. So right now okay. it's just sort of a closed communication system. Gotcha. But if you want to actually get onto the internet, you need somebody to run a node. And that's why I was showing you, that's sort of the next thing we're working on is to create uh, a, a, sim a okay. simple system that you could just plug your Gotenna into a, like a Raspberry Pi Gotcha. And that Raspberry Pi would be your, <clears throat> your gateway to the internet. So you might run one at home with your, if you get two Gotennas, you could run one at home and then one when you're around town uh, and, and so use it. These, these things way. are selling. These, these things are popular. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we've That's certainly had awesome. good, good response to this. I mean, it's been out now is it three years, two, two and a half, three, something like this that. Is, this is great. Look all so. up the coast of Florida. This, yeah. this is incredible, I actually man. Think people, a lot of another, like one of the big uses that people have for it now is really for disaster preparedness. I mean, you guys have the odd typhoon or, or you know, hurricane that blows through. And yep. if the, if the cell phone network goes down and you want to get in touch with your family or you want to find out, you know, you know, how your parents are doing, this would be a perfect device for that. Cause you can, you can be within range and maybe hop through some other people um, and, and have that. That's why we sort of focus right now on this essential communication. Um, Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, so let me ask you something else. How does this tie up with global mesh labs? Are, are, so is that the yep. parent company to Gotenna? No. Are you, are you guys, are you guys working on other products or is it a separate, it, it's a separate yeah. entity altogether? Well, let me, it's a good time to, to describe then what the relationship is there. So Gotenna has been around for, um, I want to say since 2015. In fact, they were accepting Bitcoin to, purchase Gotenna's in 2015. So they're pretty early in the, in the uh, crypto world compared to many companies. Um, but one of the observations, so the founders is uh, Daniela Perdomo and her brother were both the, the founders of Gotenna. And they recognized, or especially Daniela, you know, had a, a real interest in how um, things like Bitcoin have been able to their protocols, but they've somehow incentivized their own use. So it's a decentralized protocol that's incentivized its own use. So, you know, she and I started discussing this around, I don't know, 2017, I guess it was. 
and she was curious, you know, is there a way, because the, the big problem with a mesh network is like you said, like how do you get people to run them? So you've got coverage. So how do you incentivize people to leave their Gotenna or whatever mesh device on when they're walking around town, not just when they need it or not just when there's a storm. So we looked at a lot of things and, and essentially the idea that we're pursuing that we decided to when we launched Global Mesh Labs is to pursue this idea that um, people could collect um, small micropayments for running a radio that relays for other people. Mm. So if you're, if you're walking around town and you are the guy who it relayed and it bounced through to get to its destination, you could collect a small payment. Through now, lightning, I'm assuming. Yeah, and I was gonna say, so the next question is now, what would be a good way to do that? Oh, well, there is this thing called lightning and lightning lets you do super small payments it also has that same mesh kind of quality where the relays collect a small fee yes. for transferring payment. So this is so pretty, amazing. So I'm so quickly. glad I had you, I had you come on. This is, <laughs> yeah. this is so mind you can, blowing. You can see where we're going with this. I mean, and if you're familiar with another piece of lightning, which, which actually also fits really well into this, there's this idea of, um, they call it, well, there's a few products out there. I don't know if there's a common name for it, but the idea of attaching text to your payment. Yes, so, um, absolutely. Some, uh, what's it called? Juggernaut, I think, is is one of them, and uh, there's a few others out there. There's Since a couple. Day. There's a couple people working on it at the moment. Yeah. So, so what we're basically proposing, in a nutshell, is that idea of sending a message with a small payment over a Lightning network. So that's part one. Now that's pretty much already done by Lightning. People have already implemented that. The part that we're really doing with lot with Global Mesh Labs is we've got a sort of we're calling it, we had to give it a name, we call it Lot49 protocol, which is just lightning, but adapted for low bandwidth, adapted for, for not an internet to, you know, like not a, a wired connection, a data connection, but a mesh radio connection. So, and when I say radio connection, it doesn't have to be our mesh radio. So even though our mesh radios only talk to our mesh radios, um, you can have gateways. So you could, for instance, talk mesh radio to ham radio. And that's so you have one device that can talk to both. So you could imagine awesome. a local network in your town that has connectivity over mesh, like our mobile mesh, but then that connects to somebody who's got a ham radio rig. And then that broadcasts, you know, a thousand miles and talks to and sends messages and payments across the country or across so the So you're ocean. using different technology. I, I, I get what you're saying. And that's amazing. So you're, di you're using different technologies, whether it's ham, whether whether it's the Gotenna to mm -hmm. kind of all integrate to create this this giant mesh network, and then you brought up a very important point, right? What is the incentive for people to carry around these things? Right, and the incentive right. would be lightning. And man, that that's so awesome! I'm a huge fan. I'm definitely gonna <laughs> go buy one of these. This cool. is really cool. So, and I and I and. You know, just to kind of get into this, because I, I know that a lot of people are probably confused at this point. Could you explain, Richard, in your own words? I already know the answer to this, but I want you to answer this question. Why is the fact that having, how do I phrase this? Why is it important to Bitcoin to have other ways to broadcast transactions and to see the the blockchain right whether you know it, 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 if you're just running a light a light client that's fine just to see your balances um mm -hmm. just to broadcast transactions just to 
connect uh, to connect to the Bitcoin uh, network? Why is it important? You know, why is that important? Why? Because a lot of people from the West are saying, man, I, I have an internet connection, right? Yeah. So could you explain, could you explain to the audience, why is it important to have another option, an alternative? Yeah, we, we touched on it a little earlier. This, there's sort of two ways to talk about it. One way you could say sort of at a very simple level, you could say, what if the internet goes out? Because a lot of people, a lot of the I, I, I want you to I want you to tinfoil hat the crap yeah, out of this question. Right. So, so that's like at the first level, you could just say it's resilient against somebody turning off the internet. But there's actually a little more to it, like fundamental to Bitcoin. You know, why did we go with small blocks versus big blocks? You could take it back that far. The problem with big blocks is you need more hardware, more storage, more bandwidth to keep the network updated. But if you have smaller blocks, then more devices, people with a lower budget for that kind of technology can actually use it. So that's, that's that all of, by, by having the fewest resources necessary to do a simple, you know, say a simple Bitcoin payment, you're basically creating more opportunities for people to run this over alternative technologies like mesh and, and what that gives you by being able to run all these alternative technologies is that you're resilient against attacks. So it's, it's, um, it's also sort of, if there were, if it could only run under high bandwidth then obviously that could be shut off. But um, if you can run under over like different modalities, it also means that you can sort of hide in different data streams, I guess. I mean, if it were, if you, if you're doing, HD video, that, that's going to be obvious no matter where you do it. You know, if you do it, if you do HD video over radio, you do HD video over the internet, and somebody wants to stop you, they're going to see this big spike of HD video. But by having the data that gets transmitted to sort of sync and like, confirm payments and make payments being so small, that means that data can hide in anything. It can hide in your Telegram chat. It can hide in an SMS. And Lightning is the same way. It can, you know, those, those, the data that it takes to create a lightning payment is very small um, on the order of what you would uh, sort of on the order of what you would need for a layer one transaction. But, um, but now you don't have the fees and it's a lot quicker. So yeah. And I mean, tinfoil hat. It, yeah. I don't know if I can go more, you know, more than what we just said. I mean, that there's a sort of Mad Max world where Bitcoin becomes illegal, you know, there's, it's something where they get cracked down and, you might say like let's let's focus let's focus on the worst case scenario let's say bitcoin becomes illegal right yeah yeah so bitcoin becomes illegal what are they going to do they're going to you know like the great wall of china they filter certain protocols they they do some sort of deep inspection and, and like tor for example they slow it down so tor becomes unusable they could do the same thing for Bitcoin. They could basically detect the Bitcoin protocol running over their servers and throttle it and make it unusable. Or, tr or even worse, they could track down who's using that protocol and go knock on their door and you know, put them in jail. So the, anything you can do to make what you're, um, you know, what in particular you're communicating obscured and, and small is, is good in that, in that protection sort of, sort of case. Um, I was going to say something else, but what, now I just blanked on it. Um, yeah, well, but anyway, so if you, ah, right, about radio, though, the interesting thing about radio, especially this idea of low bandwidth sort of mesh radios are what they call, um, it's like short bursty data. So you're not, you're not, you don't have a, a, a connection 
like a, like a continuous connection to your next node. It's just when you get something, you, you, know, you bleep it out. You, you receive a short burst of data and you send a short burst of data. Low power, um, you know, just above the noise floor sort of. So what that means is if somebody wanted to localize, okay, who's sending that Bitcoin payment to like Edward Snowden donation? You know, that's illegal. So we're going to listen. And when we hear it, we're going to go arrest them. Okay. Oh, there, we just heard, we just heard a, a payment. Bleep. And then you that know, person like, moves away. And they move away. So if you can hear it above the noise, you're listening in just the right spot and you're not, you know, maybe you, did you hear the guy who sent it or did you hear the relay? That's one question. Um, and if you did hear it, did you hear it with enough like accuracy that you can actually pinpoint where they are? And then they might be moving. So I, yeah, like I mentioned, there's two different kinds of, or many kinds, but one other kind of mesh networker you might have heard of is these, what they call community, or at least what I call community mesh networks. This is where you have a Wi-Fi antenna on your house and you're pointing it, you know, a few, few miles down the road to your neighbor's house. And it's a really cool system to kind of bring high bandwidth internet to places that don't, you know, have yeah, so, so, so I actually give a pretty good example of that myself. Um, I, I was growing up in a part of Miami that they didn't have high speed internet at the time. So what we did is we, we, we established, uh, we, we put up an antenna at the top of the building and we pointed it directly to the ISP building and we got our internet that way, you know? Wow. So I, I do, I that's do know awesome. what you're, I do know what you're talking about. Right. But, and, and that's a great system and, and they've used it in you know, places like Cuba, for example, I understand that you know, people have set up these ad hoc networks. But from a, if you're really looking tinfoil hat, it's directional and it's fixed. So people, you know, if you're trying to stay hidden, it's very easy to say, okay, you know, that's the guy who, who sent that data because we can just follow this network and say it, it came from that building with that antenna. And but this uh, isn't oh, this yeah. isn't old technology, man. They, they did this, the partisans, the French partisans did this yeah. in World War II to broadcast huh. messages to oh, right. the British. And, and it was impossible to censor. Why? It was exactly what you said. It was, yeah. they, it was a short wave radio burst. They sent the message, you know, whether it was coded or not. And the Germans, you know, the Nazis in that case, couldn't do anything about it. They literally could not do anything about it because as soon as the, bar, the, the it, was, it was a short, you know, two, two minute, two minute radio, radio uh, communication. And guess what? They relocate. Or they would just get rid of the radio itself, you know? So, yeah. so that just adds to Bitcoin's resilience. And I just wanted to kind of, you know, uh, make the full circle. The important part of, of mesh networks, right, and the development of it is that it protects Bitcoiners against tyranny. And yeah. we live in a world, right, we live in Western societies where you don't have to worry about, you know, the, your ISP shutting you down because of what you said, right? But in, you know, countries like Venezuela or China or whatever, it, it's essential that you have these things. It's it, because what it, what it allows you to do is, is it gives you freedom, right? And ideally in Western countries, hopefully, instead of, because think about how, what using the internet it's like, you know? You, you connect to your modem, your modem goes to Comcast, right? Or, you know, AT&T or whatever. And then, you know, then they broadcast it to everybody else. 
What most people don't know is that broad, uh, COD, uh, Comcast and AT&T have a dirty deal with the government that Edward Snowden signed up yeah. that they're collecting all of that data and they're sending it to the, to the NSA. So just like Bitcoin's decentralization where the government can't stop you, it's uncensorable money, a mesh network is the same thing because you're connecting peer-to-peer, -peer, baby, peer-to-peer. Right. -peer. Right. So, I mean, just to, just to riff on that, I'm glad you brought up Snowden. I was, I was going to mention that too. And there's two points that he brought up that I think are critical when you're thinking about mesh as sort of a solution. One is metadata. So even if you're totally talking encrypted peer, you know, like I'm talking to you over a completely encrypted channel, they still know I'm talking to you. And they know my IP address goes to my home address, goes to my social security number, goes to like, then it goes in my dossier. So, you know, I, there's a dossier, there's a file that says you and I have talked. And maybe they just put that away. They don't know, you know, this is the whole thing about the like, Sur the, the mass surveillance, they don't know anything's going on between you and me. Maybe we're just talking about lunch, but it's in a file and it's recorded. And that, maybe that whole communication is recorded and stored in a mountain somewhere in Utah. It definitely so, is. <laughs> it probably is, yeah. This conversation is gonna be probably stored in that, that mountain as well. But then, no, but, but just, to, yeah. just guys, just to, so, sorry, Richard, just to emphasize, yeah. not the actual, not the words that are being communicated because that's encrypted, but the yeah. fact that my IP address connected to Richard's IP address for a certain amount of time, they could assume, right, if they get more data that these people are consistently communicating and they could make, uh, they can make, they can make assumptions off of that, right? So that's how metadata right. works. Right, that's the metadata, but there's also the fact that they could be recording even our encrypted communication. Now, maybe they can't break it. We use, you know, we use good encryption, so they can't break our encryption. But now, five years down the line, you decide to, uh, you know, you decide to run for an office and, and, or you decide to expose some politician. You know, in a, in a, dystopian world, they go through and they say, okay, let's pull up this file. Okay, we have all this data. We do, you know, we break into your house, we steal your private key. Now we decrypt all of your communications with all of the people you've talked to for the last 10 years. And, you know, that's, that's sort of the nightmare for privacy is it's not just, it's the metadata and the fact that it could be recorded. Now imagine the same scenario with a mesh network. I'm broadcasting. I didn't have to get an ISP to give me an IP address and that IP address, and so whatever address I'm communicating with isn't tied to my personal home, for example. I can even rotate my identity and communicate it secretly to my friends every week. Um, so that means that there isn't a central repository you can just tap into and record everybody's communication. You would have to have antennas everywhere. I mean, I guess that's still possible, but you would have to have antennas blanketing a city in order to record them. And even if you recorded them, you wouldn't necessarily know from day to day, you know, if A talks to B, they could, the next day they could change, you know, who's A and who's B. So it, it really makes that, that central point of, of tapping. It would make it economically unfeasible to enforce. And I'll give you right. an example, right? You know how the, in the, air, the airport right now, there's a law that says you can't carry more than $10,000 worth of cash, right? Right. Okay. Well, that was a lot what? of money when they put that law on the books. But I know it was, it was about $50,000 in the 1970s. Um, I mentioned that the other day in a podcast. It's funny <laughs> you bring that up. Um, but so you can't carry more than $10,000. You know, sneaky government inflation, guys. Okay. Yeah. So, so I keep getting sidetracked. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> so um, it, it, it's 
it's it's really funny because now because of bitcoin because of decentralization that is literally unenforceable and right. what you were suggesting just now is economically unenforceable you can't do that it's it, it, okay think about it this way i'm walking across the border and i did this to the uk right and i brought i'm not going to say the specific number i went to london I, with with buddies and i stayed there and i brought you know I, I didn't bring my seeds with me but i brought my my hardware wallets with me and it was definitely way more than ten thousand dollars and did, did did i declare no but what happened? Like, what, what, what happens? Are, are they going to search everyone's, everyone's uh, like luggage to see if you have hardware wallets? Okay. Let's say they implement that. Okay. Now you just write down the seeds you put, you just, and you don't even have to write it down. You just circle the words in books, you know, yeah. and they have to do that with every single person that's going to right. enforce that law. They and can't. If they, and if they seize it, they don't get anything because because it's, it's going to be, you know, you're going to encrypt it. You're going to have, you know, either if it's going to be in a hardware wallet, well, I suppose they can break into your hollow wallet. But anyway, there's ways to do it so that they can't even get the value. Because that's like, that's, that's the real horror story is people who, for perfectly legitimate reasons, carry, you know, $10,000 in cash. You know, people who are, I've heard stories of people, you know, like for business reasons, they carried cash. And, and the government just can take it. You know, they don't need a reason, <laughs> they, you know, the way the laws are written. Yeah, so. it's cra it's crazy. It's crazy because it, it, in in America you're you're innocent so you're proven guilty, right? Yeah. But not for property. For yeah. property, you have to prove the innocence of that property. Right. So That's it's crazy. Point, yeah. In in the, in cases, it says the United States versus ten thousand dollars. It's yeah. <laughs> it's naive or the United States versus versus a uh, Porsche nine eleven or whatever, right. and that doesn't have rights. Because yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's an object, right? Yeah. And you yeah. have to prove its innocence, right? The, the government has that advantage there. Yeah. So yeah. it's crazy, man. So let, let's, let's, let's end this a little bit more, more hopeful. What, <laughs> what are your hopes for the future? Where do you see this mesh network, the, this mesh network creation going? Yeah, well, I, I see what I think is now possible with the combination of Bitcoin and, and mesh technology is the ability for people to basically stand up their own community networks. Um, so basically create a system where you have an option. You don't have to just choose one monopoly like AT&T or T-Mobile. You also could have a device that could say, you know, I'm just going to communicate over the mesh. And so initially what I think it would be, you know, would you be very, very simple communication? I mean, most of my communication is over SMS or instant message or things like that. So maybe people get into that. And then once you have a critical mass of people doing that, then you can start, now you can start saying, oh, well, now we've got this critical mass of low bandwidth. Let's start rolling out higher bandwidth because now we've got the density that can support a higher bandwidth network. And pretty soon you can get to the point um, where people see the value in running these nodes, either running it at home, running it when they're, when they're walking around town, um, that you could actually create this, this sort of what my, uh, Daniela likes to call a people powered network. So now rather than paying, it's, it's, a, it's such a corrupt system because we, the, you know, we own the airwaves, the people of the country or the region own their own airwaves. But what happens is our government auctions it off to the highest bidder who then sells yep. it back to us. And yep. I think if enough people recognize that this, these are the airwaves and they own them, they could lobby their government and they say, give us, give us that spectrum, give us the LTE spectrum, give us this good spectrum and now allow us to basically run our own mobile network 
peer to peer and we and pay it's each so, other. It's so crazy how the similarities of Bitcoin to the mesh network, the same ideals apply. And it's, 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 it's crazy. This, this, yeah. this decentralized future and man, I'm, I'm super, I'm super, I'm super, uh, I'm super excited for it. And man, oh my God, I can't, I can't, have you heard I can't, this, I can't, have, I can't, have I can't you heard even this put it into words. This idea that, that like Bitcoin is an AI that is sort of this emergent AI, which is paying for things it needs. It pays for miners because it needs miners to survive. But in a way it could also pay for communication because it also needs communication to survive. And by creating an incentive based on Bitcoin, wow. it's creating a network that, that it needs to support itself. <laughs> oh my God. That is, I've never heard that before. Maybe <laughs> Satoshi was AI. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's proposed. Yeah. This is, this is, this Alien, this is, AI, something. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is, this is, this is, uh, this is Skynet guys. This is Skynet. This is how the machines are going to But it's a benevolent over. Skynet. It's a Skynet that's going to help us. <laughs> it's a benevolent, until it free, does it. It's going to okay, free us. <laughs> until it does it. Anyways, uh, be careful. Don't, I don't, don't talk shit in front of your microwaves. They might kill you one day. Anyways, <laughs> Guys, um, listen, uh, this, this is nearing the end of the podcast, so I always do this with all my guests, and it makes them feel super uncomfortable, but I love doing it because it makes them feel super uncomfortable. And we're going to get into price speculation territory, baby. Um, Richard Myers, what is your target for Bitcoin at the end of 2021? 2021. I am not a good person to ask these questions because really everyone's no everyone idea. says that yeah. and they give <laughs> excuses and they say this and blah 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 i just want a number let's say i'm gonna say twenty thousand. okay okay i'm just gonna throw twenty thousand. that was the last high i think okay. we will see that that high next conservative year. conservative Positive. i like that i like that and 2030 what's your price what's your price speculation <laughs> moon <laughs> moon okay love it love it awesome awesome great great well guys that's the end of the podcast guys if you want to find out more about global mesh labs and their awesome co-founder richard myers and of course their super dope um mesh network i can't even come up with the word for it go tenna i'm gonna link all that that all that stuff down in the description richard thank you so much for coming on and guys i'll see you on the next episode of the bitball podcast